listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. This is the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. I'm your host. Thanks for joining me on the show. If you're in the business of getting business, then you have to sell your services. And one of the best ways you can do this is to sell with a story. Why is that? Well, because nobody else has your story. It's yours. You gain credibility, you earn trust with others, and you're able to move things forward. And we're going to talk about that today on our show. Our guest today is Paul Smith. Paul is one of the world's leading experts on business storytelling. He's a keynote speaker. He's a storytelling coach. He's the best-selling author of the books, Lead with the Story, Sell with the Story. And I've read that book. That's a great one. You need to get that. We're going to put that link on the show notes. The 10 Stories Great Leaders Tell, Parenting with a Story, and Four Days with Kenny Tedford. Make sure you listen to Paul's show twice because there's some great info on here. Make sure you check out the show notes where you can get uh, links to his book and to connect with him personally. And as always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions Legal Intelligence Suite of Products, Firmscape, and Leopard Business Intelligence. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. We've got a special guest with us today. We have Paul Smith, who is one of the leading experts on business storytelling, talking about how to sell with a story. Paul, thanks for joining me on the show today. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Now, I've read your book, and we're going to put the links to the book and your site on the show notes so people can check that out. But Sell with the Story, it's fantastic, by the way. I've read a lot of sales books, and this is the only one I think that really comes out and says, Sell with the Story. And I've been in sales for a while. I know that stories work. But let me ask you this. You've done the research. You've written the book. Why do stories work so well in selling professional services? Yeah, you know, there, there's probably a dozen reasons. I'll give you the, the most important one, though, is that it it just turns out that human beings don't make decisions the way we thought we did, right? We historically have thought that we're these rational, logical creatures that are going to make, you know, these very rational, logical decisions. And, but you know, most of the cognitive science, the research that's been done in the last couple of decades tells us that that's not the case. Right. It turns out that more often than not, we make subconscious emotional decisions in one place in our brain, and then we rationalize those decisions logically you know, and consciously in a different place in our brain. Mm-hmm. So we leave the decision-making process thinking that we've made it for those logical reasons, but the, the truth is our emotional subconscious brain already decided for us a few nanoseconds earlier and the rest of our brain is just trying to catch up. And so it turns out if you want to influence people's decision-making, which is what sales is all about, it turns out you need to talk to both parts of the brain. And storytelling is just uniquely well-qualified to speak to that subconscious emotional processing part of the brain that our sales pitches usually don't reach. Well, that's fantastic and extremely insightful and something that validates what a lot of people have known for a while. But I like the fact that you really share the evidence of why this works in your book. So tell me more about the part of the brain where decisions are actually made. I know you give some examples of this and some other reasons why selling with the story is a good idea. Kind of elaborate on that for me, please. Yeah. So, well, I'm not going to pretend to be a neuroscientist at all because I'm not. I can tell you one of my favorite pieces of research about one of my favorite pieces of research that kind of illustrates this. And, uh, and I, I wish I could, I could remember off the top of my head the name of the researchers, but you can find it in the book. Mm-hmm. They basically went around to a bunch of flea markets and garage sales and bought a bunch of junk. I mean, Scott, just, you know, right. one, $2 
stuff that, you know, nobody really wants, but <laughs> for a buck, you know, you'll take it. And they sold all of this stuff on eBay. And you know how eBay works, you know, you put, you put a title and a description of it and then, then the price and all that. Well, in the place where the description was, well, in a picture of the thing, right? So there's a picture of each of these hundred things. So like a, a nutcracker and an ashtray and a whatever, little how, common household items. And instead of the description, they wrote a story. They, they actually hired people, writers, to write really short one or two paragraph, three paragraph stories about these items that were completely fictional. And it was clear in the description that the following story is completely fictional. There's nothing special about this nutcracker, right? But here's a nice story to go along with it. And it's a story about that particular nutcracker. Oh, it, you know, it comes to life and it has a, you know, <laughs> you know makes friends and, you know, <laughs> and whatever. It does something. And they sold all these on eBay. And they ended up, and so the total amount of money that they spent to buy these things was $129. So it was $1.29 on average each that they'd spent for these items. And they ended up selling them for like $3,000 or $4,000. <laughs> and the only conclusion I think that you can come to is that the difference was it was the story that goes with it. And so people will just pay more money for an item if it has an interesting story attached to it. Or in fact, when you're doing it that way, maybe it's a story with an interesting item attached to it. But the, that's just one of the more interesting pieces of evidence that stories really do help people make a decision to buy something and make that something more valuable to them. That's interesting. You also mentioned in your book that it's easier for people to remember ideas when we tell stories. Why, why do you say that? What do you mean by that exactly? Yeah, well, uh, well again, the, the research supports that. So the, um, the, all the research that I've seen, and there's been many of them, suggest that facts are between six and 22 times more likely to be remembered if they're embedded in a story than if they're just given to people in a list. And I usually prove this to people just by telling them an interesting story. And then I can right. you know, tell them afterwards, like all of you know that, you know, that, you know, a year from now, you're going to remember that story I just told you, but none of you are going to remember the list of, you know, six reasons I just gave you for why storytelling works. You know? That's right. That's I right. just gave your audience one so they might remember it. But if I'd given you the other, you know, six or eight or 10, the truth is they're not going to remember it because it's just a list. But if I told them, you know, they, they might remember the story of the guys going around to the flea markets and buying a hundred things and selling them on eBay and charging and getting $3,000 for it. They're likely to remember those facts of that story because it was in a story. But if I'd just given them a list of things to remember, they're, they're just not going to remember. So what would you say to people listening that think, gosh, this is just hogwash. I don't believe this. I think that I'm just going to go back to showcasing the value of my professional services to sophisticated consumers. These are sophisticated prospects I have. I don't think they're going to be buying my services when I tell all these stories. What would you tell that person who has that thought right now? Yeah, well, let me give them a, a few examples so they'll see. And I, I think the examples will make it clear that it it works. So one may be a little bit fanciful, but then I'll, I'll give you a really concrete one from- Okay, great. So my favorite one is, it was one that actually happened to me. It's a story that got me to buy something. So my wife and I, and this, you, you know, this one's the first story in the book. My wife and I were at uh, Coney Island in Cincinnati at an art fair, and she was looking for a picture for our kid's bathroom at home. And we ended up in this, the booth of this, underwater photographer, a guy named Chris Guglielmo. So like, seriously, look this guy up. He's amazing. So, you know, the underwater pictures of sea anemones and coral reefs and sharks and whales and stuff. And it's just amazing. Well, she just gets emotionally attached to this one picture. 
that to me looked about as out of place as a pig in the ocean, because as you remember from the book, it was a picture of a pig in the ocean, (laughs) which just made no sense to me at all. And when I finally got a chance to ask the guy the question, you know, what's with the pig in the ocean? You know, that's when the magic started, you know, he, he, cause he told me, he said, look, that that was a a crazy situation. He said, it turns out. So, so first of all, that picture was taken off the coast of an uninhabited Island called Big Major K. And he said, apparently what happened was a few years earlier, some local entrepreneur decided to raise a pig farm for, for bacon, I guess. Well, anyway, he put them out on this island that he could, it was a free uninhabited island where he could keep them for free. So he's no dummy. So he puts them out there. And he said, but it turns out the only vegetation, natural vegetation on the island for them to eat was cactus. And apparently, Scott, pigs don't like cactus. <laughs> so they literally had nothing to eat. So the entrepreneur wasn't that smart after all. Well, anyway, he got lucky in that some local entrepreneur, some local restaurant owner on a neighboring island was boating his kitchen refuse over to Big Major K, you know, every night after closing time and dumping his kitchen refuse overboard, the kitchen scraps. Well, you know, here are these starving pigs on this island and they can see and smell this food floating out in the ocean a few dozen yards away. Well, even though pigs don't normally swim, they're, they're not seafaring creatures, you get hungry enough, you'll do anything, right? So eventually one little pig, you know, dog paddles or pig paddles his way out there to get this food. And pretty soon it's two little pigs and three little pigs and four little pigs. And here it is, you know, two or three generations later, and all the pigs on Big Major K can swim. And that's the reason why. And so, of course, you know, I've got my credit card out there. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll take it right now, you know. And just ask yourself why. You know, like two minutes earlier, that was just a stupid picture of a pig in the ocean that made no sense whatsoever. You know, it wasn't worth the paper it was printed on to me. But after hearing that story, I had to have it. You know, I had to have it because, you know, it, it was an interesting story. I love hearing the story. I love telling the, school, the story. Scott, if you ever come into my house and go to the bathroom, you can hear me tell it again because the pictures up there, you know, and I just compare that to, to answer your question, you know, why wouldn't that, that artist just stick with the, here are the features and benefits. Well, here's what that sales pitch would have sounded like if he'd used a features and benefits approach. He said, look, Paul, there are three reasons why you should buy this picture. All right. First of all, it's the right size to fit in your, your kid's bathroom. Your wife's already showed me a picture of the room, so it'll fit here. Secondly, it's the right color palette to match the decor in your, in the bathroom. And then thirdly, it's in the right price range that you've already right. told me you're willing to spend on this, this item. So therefore you should buy this picture. And that would have been three, those would have been three very rational, logical, even compelling reasons to buy that picture. But there were probably dozens of pictures at that art fair in Coney Island that met all three criteria. But there's only one picture at that art fair that had an interesting story attached to it. That's why that's the picture that's up in my kid's bathroom here at home, not and not at any of the others. So it was the story that made the difference. Again, you know, at that point, I'm not sure if I was buying a picture with an interesting story or I was buying an interesting story that had a picture attached to it, but it didn't matter. I had to have That's an example of a story versus a features and benefits, you know, way to sell. Now you you should use both. Obviously you should not, it's not like you should hide your features and benefits from your, your prospects, but most people, that's all they have. That's all they have is the sales pitch. And that speaks to only half of the brain. The other half of the brain wants the story. And so you, you need the story. So let, let me pause there before I give you the, the second example. Yeah, yeah. So then what I hear you saying there is that we can add distinction. We could add uniqueness by telling stories. We can separate ourselves from our competition because we've got a unique story. Is that correct? Exactly. In fact, you, you hit the right words. We can, we can separate ourselves from our competition. So that's, since you've read the book, you know, there are 25 different types of stories. Right. So that Pig Island story is a story to add value, add, make the product you're selling more valuable. 
the one that you just kind of asked for there is what's the story to differentiate you from your competition? So that's a very specific type of story. So let me let me give your, your listeners an, an example of that one. Sure. My favorite example there is um, from a guy named Sherad Madison. So Sherad is the CEO of United Building Maintenance. So that's a commercial cleaning company. So they're the folks that come in and clean your offices at night. And when he's got a call on a new prospect, he always shows up with his sales you know, vice president. They go through a sales pitch, but he always finds an opportunity to, to share a story about what he does when he gets a new client. Because he says, I always do the same thing because there's always a 30-day transition period between mm-hmm. when I sign the contract and when my company actually takes over. And he said, during that 30 days, I always do the same thing. I sneak into the building in the middle of the night to see how they're cleaning it, right? Now, now it's not really as nefarious as I just made it sound because he gets permission, of course, to do this. But uh, the reason he does that is because the employees cleaning the building at night are typically contract employees, and he's going to inherit them at the end of the month when it becomes his job. And he wants to know if they're properly trained and if they work hard, if they're doing their job well, all that kind of stuff. So he goes in and he basically spies on the joint, you know? <laughs> so he said, for example, last month, uh, we took over the Verizon building in New Jersey. So a couple of weeks before takeover date, I go in, it's two o'clock in the morning and I go find this guy and he's, he's shampooing the carpets, but he's using the same kind of shampooer that I would use at home. Right. It's this, uh, you know, squeeze bottle, walk behind, you know, cheap residential quality shampooer. And he said, you know, that, there are many problems with that. First of all, you know, those corridors are 12 feet wide and they're half a mile around. It's going to take that guy a month just to, you know, shampoo the carpets once. Plus, it's not going to do a very good job. And, and that machine's going to break down every, every couple of weeks because it's just not made for this kind of volume. So when we took over, we put him into a commercial grade riding shampoo. So it'll do a much better job in a fraction of the time. Plus, you know, that thing's going to last forever. And by the way, notice it gets the guy off his feet, right? He's right. now riding on it. So that means I have fewer, fewer workman's comp issues, which means my client has fewer workman's comp issues. He said, but, you know, kind of last thing, I wanted to go check and see how they were dusting the uh, offices. So I go up to the next floor and I look on top of all the file cabinets. And I saw the same thing on top of all of them. There's a half a moon swiped out on top. And he said, I know exactly what that means. And you probably do too. He said that those cabinets are standard five and a half feet tall, but the people doing the cleaning were, were not that tall. And they literally weren't tall enough to reach the back of the five and a half foot tall, three foot deep file cabinet. And that's what leaves that half a moon swiped out on top because they just couldn't reach all the way to the back. And he said, the truth is they'd be better off not cleaning it at all because it's the contrast between the dusty part and the clean part that makes it obvious that it's not being cleaned properly. He said, so when we took over, we just gave all of them these little 18-inch plastic extension wands so they could reach the back of the cabinets really easy. Problem solved. Now, he tells that story and he, he goes through a similar example with the, you know, the, the vacuum cleaners, the, how they vacuum the carpets. And, and he does that instead of saying, well, look, the three reasons why we're better than our competition is that, first of all, we use triple-wide commercial-grade vacuuming machines. And we use the commercial grade riding shampooers. And I give all my dusters the 18 inch extension wand so they can reach the back. And that's why we're different. Now, now Scott, that, that is the answer. Those are his three key differentiating characteristics. Those are the three features and benefits that differentiate him from his competitors. But hopefully you can tell that hearing the story, it's much easier to see in your mind's eye, that guy riding around on that shampooer, like the, like the Zamboni driver at the ice skating rink, right? right? Like you can see somebody easily reaching the back of the cabinets with their plastic extension wand. And so it becomes much more memorable, much more tangible, much more real and visceral and human. You're absolutely right. And it's just more compelling to hear the story about those three reasons why you're better than your competition than hearing the list of things 
of reasons why you're better than your competition. You're, you're absolutely right. And I like the way you contrasted, here's the story, and then here are the three features and benefits. You're absolutely right. And I think it also adds a lot of believability. It adds credibility that this is somebody that's actually done it. it it's believable because he's telling that he's done that and he's getting very specific in the details. So it creates that image. I think you're absolutely right. So let me ask you this then, kind of moving into the how-to sort of section, those people listening, they say, I want to take these ideas and I think I can do this. When you talk about the earliest opportunity we have to sell is the moment we introduce ourselves to a potential new customer. You give ideas on explaining what you do simply. I think you talk about the chicken. Uh, suppose you're in the chicken business. What, what do you mean by that? Maybe you could talk about that for a little bit, Paul. Yeah. So, you know, you find yourself at a lot of these conferences out in Vegas, right? So, you know, you know, you know how it works is a thousand people, whatever in the, in the conference. And then, you know, there's the 30 minutes at the hors d'oeuvres table and you're meeting people and networking. And uh, it's always an opportunity to, to meet somebody who might be a prospect, might not, you don't really know yet. So what you need at that moment that you've met somebody in a business setting that might turn out to be a prospect. You need a way to explain to them what it is you do or what your company does or what your product is in a way that will help them understand and know enough to know if they want to learn more, but not so detailed that if they're not in your prospect, you're going to bore them to tears right. and, and have them running away from the hors d'oeuvres table you know, in fear. So the best way to do that, or well, the worst way to do it is to read them your brochure or what's on your business card or whatever. <laughs> Like if, unless they really are deep into your business, they really won't know what that means. I think, right. you know, the example I give in the book was something like, you know, we're, we're best in class at, you know, optimizing the distribution channel between the desired customer experience and the whatever, you know, I mean, it's just one buzzword after the other. And, and most people don't know what that means. So what you want is a very short story that illustrates what you do for a living. In fact, do you have the, the page of the book open to that? Yeah, I sure do. I sure do. Why Why don't you read the chicken story to us? It's only a paragraph, right? Well, suppose you're in the chicken business. They're pretty perishable things. And I don't know if you've ever unwrapped a chicken you bought at a grocery store that's gone bad, but it's not an experience you want to repeat. Anyway, the tricky part is how do you get the chicken from the farm to the retail store in less than three days already for cooking and smelling nice? That process has a lot of moving parts, a lot of people involved, actually a lot of different companies And if one thing breaks down from farm to grocery store, the whole thing turns into an enormous foul-smelling hairball real quickly. So basically what I do is look at all the steps in the process and try to figure out if there is some way we can do them faster, better, less expensively, or more efficiently. I like that. It gives a real glaring example of what what could go wrong in a story format. Yeah. So that was, I don't know, 15 seconds, 20 seconds right. or something to, right. to read that, maybe 30. It's a little longer than, than the jargon that you would have rattled off. But I think that extra 20 seconds probably pays off for you because you know they, they have a more visceral understanding, a more tangible understanding of what you do. And it wasn't boring. It wasn't boring right. to listen to somebody rattle off a bunch of buzzwords. So that's like the first type of story you might ever tell somebody when you meet them. Now, what are the different components as we're looking at what stories we can tell our prospective clients and our even our existing clients as we want to keep our name out there with them? What are the different components of the story? How should we structure those? What are some recommendations you'd give in that regard? Yeah, so so you mentioned structure. So that's definitely one of them. So we've talked about what stories you need. So there's a whole bunch of them and we just talked through several. So I guess that's really the first step is figure out which stories you need. 
And then once you have a list, then each one of them, you're going to want to craft those stories. So you got to go find an example of something that happened that will serve for that story. Because th these aren't fictional stories. You're not just making stuff up, right? I mean, that, that first one is a little bit, you know, uh, hypothetical, but most of the stories you'll tell will be real stories about real customers, real things that happened to you or customers or competitors or whatever. So those are kind of the first couple of steps. But once you actually have the, the nugget of a story that you want to develop, it's structure that you need to work on. And so there are eight questions that your story needs to answer, I, I think, to be effective, but also be short. Because these sales stories really should just be like two minutes long or less. These are not long, drawn-out stories. So do you, do you, wanna, you want me to go through the eight questions? Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. So here's the list. So uh, first of all, you have to answer, why should I bother listening to the story? Right. That's a, you got to answer that for the audience, because if you don't, they might not listen. to your right. So this is, I call it the hook. You got to get their attention to get them interested in listening. But once you've done that, you've kind of earned the right to answer the next five questions in, in succession. So uh, where and when did it happen? Yep. Who's the main character and what did they want? Yep. What was the problem or opportunity they ran into? What did they do about it? And how did it turn out in the end? Right. And that should sound like the natural flow of a story because of course, of course it is. But if you're, if you're keeping track, that's only six. So there's two more questions. And the, the last two are, what did you learn from the story? And what do you think I should go do now? Right. So those hmm. last two are your way to, to draw a conclusion and make a recommendation for the next step, which is either buy my product, or maybe it's agree to schedule a sales call with me or whatever to move to the next phase, next stage of the sales process. So right. those are kind of the eight things, but notice only five of them are the story. The first one is the hook. The last two are the ones you, you know, get action accomplished. That's right, right. Five in the middle are actually the story. I think that's great. I like the fact that you broke this down into a replicable systematic process that people can follow. And I think it doesn't lose the heart of the story. It's something that the people listening to this show can actually do. They can actually take this and see an immediate change in how their prospective clients respond to them. So let me kind of ask you this, Paul, if we could kind of summarize three action steps that people can take to get started on this. And we're going to put your show notes or your links and all your information on the show notes and even the link to your book, Sell With the Story. So what would be three action steps that people can take to kind of get started on integrating some of these ideas that you shared with us today? Yeah, so, so I think the first thing is to start thinking about storytelling like you would any other sales or business skill. It is. I mean, you know, if, if you needed to know more accounting to do well at your job, you'd go read a book on accounting, you'd take a class, you'd, you'd go back to school, you know, something. You would take it seriously that it's a learnable skill. And storytelling is no different, although people think it's different. They think, oh, well, some people are just natural born storytellers and some people are not. So if I'm not, I'm just hosed, right? I can't, right. I'm not going to be. No, that's not true. It's, it's, it is an art form for sure. But even if you're not a natural born artist, you can learn to be one. You just need to right. take it seriously. Great. Second one would be then, okay, so given that, okay, go read a book, take a class, you know, watch some training videos. I mean, go, go learn it like the serious subject that it is. And then lastly, I guess, start doing it. Start sharing stories. You know, you could learn all you want, but if you don't ever start doing it, it doesn't matter. And, and this is, this is a storytelling is a, you know, it's, it's an action sport. <laughs> you have to, you have right. to do it. So uh, those would be my three. Well, this is fantastic, Paul. And tell us about some of the offerings that you have that our listeners can benefit from. Yeah. Well, thanks. And of course I, I do summer all of those things. I mean, you could mm -hmm. obviously start with the book uh, there that you've got, but I teach training classes to sales teams on this and we, we right. take them through a full day of 
you know, what's, we figure out what stories they need and have them find them and we break them into groups and they actually go develop those stories during the day and share them back at the end of the day so that they, you know, get some feedback from their peers. So, so we, we run a real hands-on set of workshops to do that kind of thing as well. That's fantastic, Paul. Thank you for being on the show. We're going to put your links on the show notes. I'm going to read the other books that you've written also, and hopefully we'll have you back on here in a few months. Thanks so much for being with us today, Paul. You bet. It was great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.